0: I will try my best to be smart this episode, guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you need to be the Cirque expert. Sirkspert.
0: Yeah. Oh, Cirquexpert. That's me.
1: Sounds so close to sexpert. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Wilson Lai.
1: I'm Benjamin Yap.
2: I'm Eli Sands.
0: You're listening to Deep Cut. Should I say it? Yeah, say
2: it. Should I say it? What? Do I dare say it? Say it. Fart from heaven. Mm, (laughs) Smells yum. When I die, (laughs) they'll say, he spoke truth to power. (laughs) On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. Sorry, I did that transition so well. I (laughs) am not always on lock there.
0: Well done. Yeah, we're always looking at you after the (laughs) intro, Eli. (laughs) (laughs) We also discussed that director's life and career to bring in context that helps us view their movies as they may want us to.
1: Welcome to our episode on Todd Haynes' 2002 film, Far From Heaven. Yeah. Wilson has such a weird look on his face. I don't know what it means, but I'm so (laughs) eager to find out. (laughs) This is a deep cut pick after our popular pick, which was Carol on our last episode. Mm -hmm. I saw Far From Heaven very recently for the first time before making this deep cut pick and launching into our Haynes recordings, and immediately knew that it would be an interesting comparison with Carol. And on the surface, they share many similarities, like The fact that they're period films, that they're meticulously researched, costume designed, production designed, etc, etc. But I think under the surface, they're actually films of very, very different approaches Mm. to the stories they're trying to tell. Agreed. Definitely. And I want to first start off to hear what both of you think about this film. Eli, go first.
2: Okay. Far From Heaven is a very literal film. I think in a lot of ways, I am not yet sure what to do with it particularly the ending, and I'm hoping that we'll discover more of how to place this through our conversation. I think that, of course, it is owing a lot to the movies of Douglas Sirk, Mm -hmm. in particular All That Heaven Allows, Mm -hmm. with a dash of imitation of life. And unlike Carol, I find myself more moved, but also unlike Carol, I am feeling a bit more lost, again, with regards to the ending. Mm -hmm. It's not doing a radical thing of ending on optimism and giving the core romantic relationship hope and a good, happy ending. It is denying the lead character the romance that she desires. Mm -hmm. And along with the stylistic reproduction of Douglas Sirk's movies, there is a narrative reproduction of ending on pessimism and the heroine not getting exactly what she wants. As in Imitation of Life, we're saying that all that heaven allows ends on the romantic couple being together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when it is using that 50s classic melodrama mode visually and narratively and reproducing that in 2002 with, I think, very 2002 liberal politics Mm -hmm. and a sort of limited idea of what progressivism means... Mm -hmm. i.e. there's a criteria to be met for how good and liberal and progressive this heroine needs to be it feels ironically very of the 2002 moment yeah and less timeless or hopeful or far-reaching than Carol is Mm -hmm. so in some ways I like it more than Carol in some ways I like it less than Carol I find myself a little bit confused and I'm looking forward to going into it more with you both
0: This one, this film, (laughs) Far From Heaven, was unfortunately a little bit of a bust for me. (laughs) We watched Wilson watch the end of it.
2: (laughs) And I saw him shaking his head and looking like he smelled
1: sour milk. (laughs) (laughs) He smelled the fart from heaven?
0: Yes! It was worthy of applause, Ben. <laughs> uh, and unlike the other movie where I just listened to the episode where Ben saw me watch the ending, which was Love of the <laughs> Afternoon, <laughs> which did leave a shitty feeling in my stomach, but was more intentional than this film's. I don't think it's just the ending, though. I think Far From Heaven is very obviously an homage to Cirque's All That Heaven Allows, where you have a woman who's going through issues in her own personal life that gets taken by the son of her gardener. The usual gardener passed away, so his son takes over the company, the gardening company, which both Rock Hudson plays in All That Heaven Allows, and in Far From Heaven, Dennis Haysbert plays the son of the gardener who passes and who is the main love interest for Julianne Moore's character in this film? So from the get-go, you do know what movie and what era of filmmaking Haynes is trying to emulate here, and he does that extremely well. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt at all that the tone of this film is off. It's never off. You almost at all times. I felt like this. I was watching a film made in that like Technicolor Cirque era by probably Cirque himself with the colored lighting, and just the way that people speak. Mm, Jeepers. <laughs> Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> oh shucks. <laughs> like, the acting method, it all really fit. But I do agree with a lot of what Eli was saying about using early 2000s, like, progressive politics to, I guess, make a also less impactful <laughs> melodrama about this woman going through a crisis in her life. And sprinkling in some race relations, sprinkling in some gay shit, I, th- it it really sucks that it didn't hit me mm-hmm. as much as I thought it would because I really love Cirque. After being forced in multiple classes to watch a lot of Cirque films, <laughs> I've sort of been conditioned to 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 love the band and a little Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, Stockholm <laughs> <Cirque laughs> syndrome. A little bit, a little bit, but I think there is such an immense power in the way that he crafts his films and the plotting and the coincidences and everything. And I feel like so much of what makes core Technicolor melodrama so impactful, like in its plot structure and the way that things unfold are not really evident here. Mm. they are like revelations are few and far between. Hmm. The, the big one I'm thinking about is how Julianne Moore, who plays Kathy, finds out that the girl that was bullied by the other boys was in fact Raymond's daughter, her love interest daughter. And that's what brings them together near the end and that is what's supposed to like incite the the sweeping romance that takes over like the last bit of the movie right that haynes sort of holds us back from but i i i just didn't feel as swept off my feet Mm -hmm. and also like i don't know cirque has inspired other filmmakers to make sort of Cirque reincarnations but in their own light like most notably like Fassbinder's Ali Fear Eats the Soul which mm-hmm. yeah. is very similar in the story to Far from Heaven but I think Fassbinder puts his own take on it while also homaging Cirque and does it better arguably.
1: Better than Haynes you mean or than Cirque? Better than
0: Haynes does. Oh, okay. And I don't know, I, it just feels, it, it, it fell flat for me. Mm. Yeah, sorry, that was a very long-winded explanation <laughs> right here off of the bat. But I'm excited to to get into it. Okay, yeah. Because I, I really love Julianne Moore, and
2: I think she does a really good job. <laughs> I would say that the saving grace here is the performances across
1: the board. That's mm. mm-hmm. funny you say that because I've never been a big fan of Julianne Moore, but I think she's really good here, and she's really good in Safe as well. You've
2: never been a big fan of Julianne Moore?
1: I've never been a book fan of Julianne Moore. Wow, Ben, I don't know why <laughs> you ingrate. I don't have a reason, okay? But I like her in this and Safe. What about Magnolia, <laughs> man? I don't know
0: That's that monologue at Magnolia. Wow,
1: well, we starting off a really bad foot here. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a Julianne Moore story. Okay, when I was in high
2: school. Julianne Moore was touring my high school one day for her kids to consider sending them to our school. Okay, She sat in on an English class that I was in. She sat next to me. I forget what I said, but she laughed at something I said (laughs) and we chatted a little bit after class. She's great
1: what wow. i've never heard this from i can't believe I can. it
0: my girlfriend was razzing me yesterday because i i told her that i have a crush on julianne moore <laughs> we cannot speak ill of julianne moore i don't speak ill of Moore's her Podcast. Just, you know what i mean oh you spoke ill <laughs> but
1: anyway <laughs> anyway i forgot to do the summary which i wrote but then i, <laughs> I went straight to reactions fuck <laughs> what about your reaction ben yeah okay let me go to mine yeah yeah When I first watched it, obviously the surface stuff was what excited me in terms of comparing this with Carol. But I also found that watching it was just very strange Mm. because like, why do you
0: do this? Mm.
1: Why does Haynes decide to make an homage to Cirque in 2002? I just found that question really interesting and then doing research on this and reading the reactions and writing on Far From Heaven has made it even more interesting to think about. The first time I watched it, the melodrama of it, the kind of conflict here, worked for me in a very classic melodramatic way, in the way that he's trying to ape those melodramatic narrative turns. Yeah, Mm -hmm. But I found that the way that he was layering the social issues, which you've already both mentioned, is kind of like progressive politics of that era Mm -hmm. was actually really interesting a little broad strokes but really interesting in creating multiple layers of how these different social issues intersect essentially he made kind of a circian display of intersectionality of how these issues operate Mm -hmm. and yes it's set in the 50s but it's really about those issues in the time that far from heaven was made really Mm. Mm. It's not necessarily nuanced, but it puts those things on the table. Yeah, Much in the same way that Cirque stuff. So there's been a lot of writing on Cirque. People talk about how Cirque is using the melodramatic form to also very subtly hint and comment on social issues at the time. Yeah, But at least based on my research and based on how I think we should look at Cirque films... At the end of the day, Cirque films are also made to entertain and get butts in seats.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: So they had to just be good melodramas, right? 100%. And so there has been a bit of a back and forth on like how people look at Cirque. There was an era where people were looking at Cirque as if he was some kind of postmodern director trying to, you know, use melodrama to say something very like insightful. There has been pushback on that and kind of just reevaluating evaluating Cirque as a filmmaker that's trying to make cinema that would get its target audience, meaning Housewives in the 50s, to come watch it. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, but then there is some evidence that he imbued skepticism in his movies on purpose. Mm -hmm. I remember a professor of ours, Lisa Dombrowski, who Mm -hmm. taught us a class on melodrama and the women's picture across the 20th century, told us about an interview in which the interviewer asked Douglas Sirk about the reunification of... Germany? ...reunification of the main characters at the end of Imitation of Life. Oh, sorry.
1: Mm
0: (laughs) Cirque
2: said, do you believe that ending? I don't. Mm.
1: Something to that effect.
0: Yes, I do remember. I do remember.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because I think we're going to get into the ending as well. Yeah. yeah. I always think about that when I think about Cirque. And how it relates to Far From Heaven as well. Because you both have kind of took issue with how the film ends and like how it doesn't have that kind of impact. Mm -hmm. I don't deny that Cirque is trying to use the form, but you can't read Cirque as somebody that is using melodrama as an ironic Device like an ironic narrative trope to say something. No. He is making a melodrama. Yeah. He's... And that's what some people have been saying. Well... Okay? Yeah.
2: Yeah. He wants you to feel about the social issues, not necessarily think or reflect. Yeah.
0: Like, I feel like Cirque is, like, a stylist at heart. Yeah. Which Haynes can also be seen as a stylist at heart. Yes. And in some ways, that makes commenting on social issues fall short sometimes mm-hmm. which happens for both yes Haynes and Cirque mm-hmm. but what still holds true for Cirque is the emotional power that it holds over its audiences mm-hmm.
1: because melodrama just works and yeah it is not tried and tested but that it gives you a bunch of tools to make something. Yeah. Especially if you're using Cirque to do domestic drama, mm-hmm. those tools will still work. Mm-hmm. I want to get into context because I think this is going to become a very kind of... I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation because it's going to get into very kind of crunchy things Ooh. that are going to be hard to explain and might require a lot more context okay. that I don't think I can necessarily give, mm. but I'll try. So we've already kind of talked about this, that this is an homage to Cirque. And of course, this is Haynes very purposefully doing an homage to Cirque and kind of blending the social issues that Cirque was trying to kind of touch on in his films and kind of making his own version of it, Mm -hmm. aping the style, music, and dialogue and acting style as well to make Far From Heaven. Mm -hmm. And editing. And editing as well. Uh, We've already mentioned all that Heaven allows imitation of life. The big thing that we've kind of been circling around that is going to be something for us to dig into is... If people talk about Cirque possibly using melodrama in an ironic way to push a point, Haynes actually purposefully is using Cirque's form of melodrama to create irony Mm -hmm. and a sort of distancing effect Mm. in how he created Far From Heaven. Mm. Um, I saw this in an interview where he talks about that ironic distance. So from the get-go, he knew that this is what he was trying to achieve. But the weird thing was that he is also trying to make a sincere melodrama. So that is the confusing thing. How do you do both irony and sincerity?
0: Yeah, trying to have his cake and eat his too. Yeah, or whatever the, th- the term is. <laughs> <laughs>
2: trying to have his cake and eat eat his cake.
0: <laughs> he's gonna eat his cake and he's c- eat his cake. He's gonna
1: <laughs> eat his cake and make it too. <laughs> yeah. I read a lot of reviews and reviews basically were on one side or the other. Like some would see him as sincere and some would pick up on the irony and they were not necessarily opposing reviews. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like you could kind of take the opinions at the same time. And I think this makes it such a difficult movie to approach because the film never really gives you the answer sheet to how you should approach this. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to pick a side and how you want to go at it. Do you want to just go in and expect a circuit melodrama and hopefully have an emotional impact or do you go in looking at it from the lens of this is trying to be a circuit melodrama what does that mean about the story it's trying to tell yeah
2: i think i can't turn off the part of my brain that would do the latter (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. it's muddy water though yeah muddy water
1: it's it's very messy Mm -hmm. yeah yes like this is such a difficult thing i don't know how to talk about this film in some ways i think we're doing it yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's what we're here to do, man. (laughs) And
1: then as Wilson also mentioned, Haynes is also obviously aware of the Rainer Werner Fassbinder film, Ali Fear Eats the Soul, which is also on Amash's Cirque, but using other kinds of devices that make it his own thing. He isn't just emulating Cirque, he is changing Cirque for his own narrative designs and like stylistic designs. Whereas Haynes is very specifically imitating Cirque. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: But when you... Okay, when you talk about the irony, bed, like, I see it. I see it. Mm-hmm. But it just, like, brings another Cirque homage to mind that I think strikes the irony, like, nail on the head. Mm-hmm. John Waters' polyester. Oh. Yes. Which is sort of Cirque dialed up to, I don't know, shit ton. <laughs> like, ridiculous about. But with polyester, you have something that is
1: specifically... Camp and like parody and parody right which is a bit different because here he is being sincere which i think really confuses how you can approach this but i can see from the reviews that a lot of people are approaching this very sincerely and people are affected by it in a earnest way and you can watch this film turning off that latter part of the brain Mm. where you don't have to look at it with an ironic I, and I don't think you need to, because I think the film does work within the melodramatic construct that it has. Mm -hmm. When I kind of looked at it again today, I did also find it a little flat. And I find that interesting, because there is something about Far From Heaven that feels like it is pulling its punches. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in those melodramatic turns
0: intentionally
1: and yeah and i'm thinking about that like is that intentional like if you think about like performance style yes the dialogue has those references like using RGs, shucks all that <laughs> but the acting style is a little bit more updated it's less of that 50s more heightened kind of acting mm-hmm. right
2: i was thinking about this also in comparison with carol because
1: carol does not have that 50s acting style. Correct. Carol's approach is let's do a very naturalistic kind of 50s. Yes. Whereas this isn't doing the 50s really. This is doing circ. Well said. This is doing an imitation of the way that the 50s was presented mm-hmm. in melodramatic films in 50s. Yep. So this isn't the 50s at all. Mm. I think when you think about it that way then like there's a reason why this feels a little like pat in terms of like the social issues. Mm. Because I mm-hmm. think there's an undercurrent of this film cannot be a realistic depiction of the issues in the 50s because it's not from the get-go.
2: So is it critical of the limitations of
1: melodrama as a genre? I don't think so, but I'm also not sure what it's doing.
0: Well, it's sort of like if Cirque made a movie in 2002 and the aesthetics were still nineteen (laughs) fifties.
2: Cirque making a movie post 9-11 is an interesting thought.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things here that like, obviously wouldn't make sense in the 50s film industry, like you couldn't have an explicit uh, homosexual storyline. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the miscegenation storyline also probably would have a bit of a, a different kind of tone. Mm. And so there's a bit of a transgression here, I think, that Haynes is specifically trying to do, which is to pretend like he's making this in the 50s, a film that could never be made. Yeah, And just thinking about this in this way, I think Haynes is just an experimental filmmaker making, like it's almost like He's like Goose Monson making Psycho as a remake. Yeah, I was oh. thinking about that as well right? while
0: oh. watching this
2: movie. <laughs> Someday we will talk about Psycho 1998 on the pod. Oh boy. I'm promising this. <laughs> I'm carving it in blood.
3: I don't
1: know. Like, I think it's interesting to think about Far From Heaven. Like, what is Haynes' approach? Like, what is he trying to do? And I don't really feel like I have an answer. And I mentioned in our Carol episode that Haynes has a background as academic, mm-hmm. which is why all this, like, ideas about Cirque and melodrama, like, he has this kind of knowledge about the style and the research. So Haynes is a bit of a nerd, like he is trying to say something or like do something experimental here within the kind of genre codes of melodrama. And if you look at his other films, and I think his later work after Carol is where he starts to move away from this, is that he was always experimenting with different kinds of devices. Mm -hmm. If you look at his music films that are based on the lives of a music star, so he has I'm Not There, which is based on Bob Dylan's life, Velvet Goldmine, which is somewhat based on David Bowie, and obviously his band film, or rather, out-of-circulation film, Superstar. Superstar, which is about Karen Carpenter. They all have a bit of a device. Like With Superstar, you have the Barbie dolls playing... Karen Carpenter and the Carpenter family. With I'm Not There, he does a Bob Dylan biopic with six different facets of Bob Dylan, played by six different actors. And then with Of A Goldmine, he couldn't get the rights to Bowie's music. So then he kind of made a Bowie biopic that isn't a Bowie biopic. Mm. That's as close as he can get legally to depicting Bowie's story. And so (laughs) Haynes is interesting because he, at least in this period of work, never really approached a problem directly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like he always put it through some kind of grinder to come out with something different huh. that isn't what you would expect. Yeah. And I think Far from Heaven is part of that kind of background that he has. where he's trying to essentially he's like trying to make experimental films that hopefully a mainstream audience can digest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. That's kind of like all the things I can say to kind of like change how we can approach this film mm-hmm. and like how to think about this film. I have a quote from an interview with Haynes where they asked him whether they thought Far From Heaven was experimental. And he very specifically said, yes, Mm -hmm. because it refuses a lot of familiar narrative touchstones that make us feel like we're watching a genuine drama, contemporary codes of naturalism, psychological realizations, redemptions, and any sort of heroic victory. So it refuses all those things and maintains a completely synthetic language that comes directly out of the world of film. And yet it's done in complete faith that that language in some way embodies more potential for emotional feeling than anything that mimics what we think of as reality. Mm -hmm. So from the get-go, Keynes is trying to have his cake and eat it too. I think I get the
2: idea. And I find it not entirely successful because of those 2002 politics. And another way I might put it is that the movie never doubts the heroism and goodness of Julianne Moore's main character. Mm Mm-hmm. She never comes to a greater understanding about her husband's experience. She doesn't really come to a greater understanding about the experience of Dennis Haysbert's character Raymond, her love interest. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any sort of greater understanding about the betrayal of her friend L. Ultimately, or not
0: L. Um, what's her name? Yeah, it's L. Patricia Clarkson. Eleanor. Eleanor. Thank you. Patricia Clarkson. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> She's good. I like her. She is good. Yeah, she is.
2: Another thing is that the Black characters kind of don't have their own individual wants, really, and are sort of props for Julianne Moore's suffering Mm -hmm. and are there to relay information. Like, it's criminal that Viola Davis is so underutilized here, like one of the greatest living actors and... (laughs) I don't know (laughs) like I think Raymond is written in almost a naive way that I don't believe yeah until the ending when he says I have to make a decision and go to Baltimore for Sarah's good Mm -hmm. it's almost coincidence the way he's written yeah the way that his decisions and wants are convenient for the desires and suffering of Julianne Moore's character
0: also the way that it's now contextualized for us it really feels like it could be very easy for haynes to really hide behind this like i'm a director trying to make something that another director would make in this time in order to avoid really tackling the issues that you want to talk about but actually just address them in the way that this director will would address them which is actually not really address them and I'm gonna make you like feel a little like nostalgic about this era but also bring up these issues in a very clean way yes but also in a way that I can come across as doing something a little out there it almost gives more sympathy and empathy towards
2: Dennis Quaid's character, the husband, Frank, because of the suffering that he goes through. It opens up the range of narration to him and you see his experience some. But I think ultimately, both he and Raymond, Dennis Haysbert's character, exist in service of the suffering of this main character, Kathy, who's a white woman.
1: I think this is so interesting because it's not a defense of the fact that this film is doing a disservice to his black characters, but... When I think about the film trying to... When I think about this film, and I see how those misgivings are brought on within the context of the melodrama it's making, mm-hmm. that I don't know, but like, is it like a weird reverse Uno kind of thing where like, <laughs> it is trying to make an imperfect film? Mm. Mm within its kind of mode and like yes there's we can say yeah maybe you should just make a film that directly addresses those issues right but instead here he is specifically not addressing those issues and in a sense also redoing the mistakes of the past right yeah well
2: that gets to my question from earlier is he doing that on purpose
0: yeah do we give him enough credit
1: i think there are scenes that are a wink to possibly give him the credit, but I think that is the main problem with the film, that it doesn't have a very big wink Mm -hmm. to tell you what is it trying to do. Like It's like a very straight-faced way of doing this experimental thing, and then the artist will never tell you why. Mm. But I mean, Haynes is very open about his work and the way that he approaches it. So I've already told you that he talks about it having an ironic distance. So we already know that he has that thought going into it. Yeah. But it's not a film that has a very articulated point, right? Mm -hmm. The point is on the surface of it, but you kinda have to figure it out. It's not written out specifically. Yeah. I think about the scene, like for example, when Kathy leaves the house and then the NAACP come to talk to her and give her a brochure and then she kind of waves them off and then like gets her maid to sign the thing instead and then runs away. This is a scene of very little plot consequence, right? Mm-hmm. But that means that it's a scene that is important because... If it's not important, then why is it important? It's important because it's a scene that emphasizes that in her approach to race relations, she is also very naive. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: She does say some very cringy things.
1: Yes. I think I disagree with you, Eli, because I don't think this film doesn't doubt the heroism of Kathy. Mm-hmm.
2: This film does doubt the heroism of Kathy. Yes. Okay.
1: So I think this film does doubt the heroism of Kathy, but in very, very understated mm-hmm. ways. Okay. And I think this makes sense when you look at Cirque's films, because sometimes Cirque's heroes can also be a little bit, like, on the surface. Mm-hmm. They might not see under the surface. And so, like, you have a scene like this, and then also there are moments, like, when at the end of the film, when Cathy is a little embarrassed about something she's going to say to her mate, her mate Sybil, and oh yeah, she catches herself, and then she realizes a little bit... Not fully, but she's realizing a little bit like the gears are starting to turn about how she's thinking about uh, race in her household at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, for example, how she treats her husband's homosexuality, right? Like this is all very much off the time of like thinking of homosexuality as an illness. Yeah. And there's an interesting power dynamic here where the first thing you find out is that her husband is gay. Like that's one of the first revelations, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the power dynamic shifts where he has to make it up to her right so then that imbalance happens but then when it's found out that she has a friendship with a black gardener then his maleness he blows up becomes yeah. the power dynamic like that becomes more important mm-hmm. the race issue puts her at the bottom of the ladder more so than his thing that he's dealing with so there's like an interesting mm-hmm. shift in power here
3: hmm.
0: yeah but it is a shift in power yeah
1: yeah and so you can see how with respect to certain topics she doesn't know how to deal with things like she is also taking a back seat to her so-called support of Black people whenever she is within the company of her white social circle, right? Mm -hmm. So there is, I think, a lot of doubt casted on, like, why she supports this cause and whether she truly does. But I think it's very thorny because, like, I don't know, like, how do you approach this character?
0: Well, I saw her character as a character that is a very, like, textbook I-don't-see-color woman. Mm -hmm. Like... In all the good ways and the bad ways. Like I think Haynes presents it as it is. I don't think he 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 puts her up on a pedestal. E- even if m- maybe if this was made by Cirque, he might might as well have put her up on a pedestal because she goes against the grain in a lot of ways. But I I I don't know. I think thinking about it more and the time and the care that Haynes gives to Dennis Quaid's character and the progression of him like realize, like getting caught by Kathy and then going to conversion therapy and then like finding love when they go to New Year's in Miami um and then deciding to divorce Kathy like that trajectory really like paints the gay agenda <laughs> in this <laughs> film like a lot better than the black agenda or yeah quote unquote black agenda I don't know, it really, I feel very weird about it because <laughs> yeah. like you'd like the amount of intimate scenes that Dennis Quaid and his many, like few lovers in this film get is a lot. And the amount of intimacy that Kathy and Raymond have, like physical intimacy that Kathy and Raymond have in this movie is so minimal. There was no reason to really put that much effort and time into Dennis Quaid's character's storyline but the fact that it sort of puts it off balance with the main romantic core as it should be of this movie really makes me question Haynes's intentions Mm. yeah
2: to put what Wilson's saying in another way we sometimes throw around the term on this podcast range of narration Mm -hmm. and what that means is which characters you're getting access to as a perspective character through time in the movie, narratively, and through film form. Mm -hmm. And the range of narration includes giving access to Kathy and Frank here, but not to Raymond. Yes.
0: Well, maybe it is assuming that he is making a movie as if Cirque was racist and liked white men. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Whoa.
1: but I don't think like if a Cirque was making this I don't think that the reason that he wouldn't focus on the narrative of the black character is not because he is a racist but rather that he <laughs> is not going to give that to that character because he's not making films for a black audience Hmm. Right. Mm. Okay. Say more. So, like, I mean, this is obviously imagining, sir. So I it's gonna be more difficult to think about what Haynes is doing. Yeah. But I think at least of the time, like, the main character is white. The main family is white, yeah. and that kind of makes sense that the range of narration surrounds them. But then you do have scenes that extend the range to Raymond's daughter Sarah. That's true. That's true. Which I just remembered, and I think it's interesting because that specifically shows you how she is being bullied by these white boys that throw a rock at her head. Mm-hmm. But yes, we never really follow Raymond, who is the kind of love interest and in, like how he processes this relationship.
2: We only understand what he might want through Kathy's experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that maybe... Mm, sorry.
1: Maybe there is a commentary here about how this film is filtered through the perspective of a certain white woman. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't know whether thinking about it that way helps. Mm-hmm. Not whether, I'm not saying helps like make it better, but rather helps to process this film better. Mm-hmm.
2: So maybe the message to white audiences: is you think you know, but you don't.
1: Possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Possible, but I, I, maybe once again, like the wink isn't big enough. <laughs> yeah. Like it's almost like he will never say, and then like, you're not sure. When you're saying something like that, you like, it's essentially a film that is, slightly disdainful of the audience, it is in some ways trying to sincerely court, isn't it? Mm -hmm.
2: Which I always do like to see. (laughs) Yeah, which is also a little interesting.
1: Yeah. Like, is it a bit of a, if you took this seriously, I doubt you a little bit, Hmm. right? Because there's definitely a way to enjoy this film completely, earnestly, and sincerely. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay.
0: It is, hmm, yeah, hmm, hmm. (laughs)
2: Then, going with this view of the movie's intentions, one of the biggest winks becomes the ending to me, which maybe helps slot it in a little bit more. First of all, you have Kathy arriving at the station, knowing which train Raymond is taking, <laughs> and leaving her kids in the car. I I laughed when that happened. <laughs> I thought she was going to get on the train and leave. I thought them. she was just going to get on the train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just leave, leave the kids forever. <laughs> These poor kids. Yeah. And then. I will say an important piece of this movie is that Kathy and Raymond have great chemistry. Mm -hmm. Dennis Haber and Julianne Moore really work well together on screen. Mm -hmm. And there is some genuine power to seeing Raymond depart on the train and just wave back to Kathy. Yeah. At the same time. I felt very cognizant of the almost cliche of the image of one lover watching another depart on a train wistfully Mm -hmm. and its place in melodrama history. So I maybe felt both in it and out of it there in a way that Haynes intends. And of course, it's wordless. They don't say anything to each other that Mm -hmm. gives you meaning. There's no dialogue for the last few minutes of the movie at all. Maybe the idea is to leave you with the ostensible emotional power of seeing two lovers separated by this train and the path of their lives, mm. while also being a little intellectually distanced from it by recognizing this image and its place in melodrama. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Uh, Wilson's shaking his head a little bit.
1: <laughs> this is really interesting because Haynes very specifically talks about the ending. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I want to hear what he says about the ending.
1: He talks about Cirkin endings and how Sirk endings, like you mentioned, Eli, from that quote, have a bit of a too neat quality, especially when they end happily. That there's a bit of a narrative wrap-up and a melodramatic kind of happy ending. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a bit of a, this is too easy or like too convenient. And like Mm. that kind of convenience, you either just take it and believe it Mm -hmm. or you choose to doubt and Hmm. feel like (laughs) something's a little off. And so Haynes, actually, for this ending, was trying to do something that wasn't the kind of easy narrative wrap-up where the two get together. Mm. You know, he said specifically that he was going for a bittersweet kind of thing, but then also falls into the other kind of cliche, which is that bittersweet ending, which he also, I think, acknowledges a little bit as a cliche. So, I don't know. Like, I think the ending makes sense, Mm -hmm. like, within the context of the film. Like, you just know that Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense. Like, this union doesn't make sense. And, like, for him to force the issue might have been even harder to swallow. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. I think just thinking about Cirque and his work more, with all the films of his that I really love, like, take All That Heaven Allows, right? You have Jane Wyman's character who's, like, a widow and has, like, a high place in society, who meets Rock Hudson, who's, like, a lot younger than her. Who's sort of, like, not in the same, shouldn't be seen together, but in a less serious way than the characters in Far From Heaven are. But, like, through the course of the film, there's a, there's a transformation with Carrie, that's that's the name of J. Wyman's character, where she sort of like strips away Hmm. what she deems as like her, her societal like power in order to be with Ron. Wait, real quick, you can cut this out, but Rock Hudson's
2: character name is Ron. So is Ron's last name Hudsock? (laughs) Rock Hudson, Ron
1: Hudsock? (laughs) Should we give like a summary of all that heaven allows? Just make it make more sense.
0: Sure. Okay. So, uh, like, Carrie, is this okay? I just widow. I just watched it
1: last night. So
0: <laughs> oh, okay, go go. Sorry, go Ben. Go. Sorry. Like
1: to just kind of give this a bit more.
0: I didn't know you watched it last night.
1: <laughs> context so that we can kind of like talk about all that Heaven Allows, which this far from Heaven borrows very heavily from. Right. It has Jane Wyman playing this wealthy widow Carrie, and she has two grown children. She falls for the son of her gardener that passed away, that is currently gardening her garden, and then Rock Hudson plays Ron, who's the gardener, and he's kind of like this kind of free spirit kind of guy yeah and then he courts her and then they fall in love and then the main issue is that her social circle and her kids are very disapproving of their union because he is a young gardener mm-hmm. which sounds really ridiculous <laughs> when i say out loud mm-hmm. and coded
2: is lower class as well yes and lower class as well
1: yes but that's the main issue is that he is not suited for her mm-hmm. and then she kind of goes back and forth of whether she commits to him and then in the end decides to kind of forego him and loses him, mm-hmm. but then realizes she's not happy kind of going with the status quo and then decides to run back mm-hmm. into his arms yeah. and ostensibly live happily ever after.
0: So like, okay, so what I was trying to say is like, there's a shedding, there's a transformation that happens. Mm-hmm. Also, like imitation of life, like the main thing is that the characters or some characters like grow to appreciate the, the care that Juanita Moore, who plays annie the housekeeper gave to them and their family realizing that people are treated differently based on their race which is a very i but thing and they they come out of it on the other having and like magnificent obsession rock hudson starts as a jerk a rich jerk that through this accident grows to to care about someone else and learn about the art of caring for other people and good will come on to you so in all these circ films yes it is very neatly tied up at the end but the progression of these characters you you have characters that are archetypes of people like they're very clearly this type of person Mm -hmm. that gets molded into other types of people quote unquote better types of people because they learn something and they change and I feel like that's like a really fundamental circ like it's a mainstay that is completely (laughs) not even talked about because Kathy doesn't change that much she doesn't change that much because her ideals and the way that she sees the world and the way that she sees black people stays very constant Mm. throughout the whole film as well as the way that she sees gay people it's the same like there's nothing changes with her Like, that's why I don't feel such a deep connection to her. Even though Julianne Moore is giving a really good performance, there's no connection to her because there's no character growth. Mm. And that is what attaches you to Cirque characters. And because they're working on themselves to be better people, they deserve to live that happy ever after in this Cirque world where there is very clear evil and very clear good Mm. reason why it doesn't look like real life like oversaturated because these are heightened characters and it is to get you to clearly root and to clearly align yourselves with these characters is because is in the way that they're written so simply in construction Mm. but but when it comes to far from heaven when you start muddying it and i guess not have a clear progression that's when character alignment and audience attachment for me starts to get lost yeah yeah
1: That's so interesting because it's almost like Kathy as a character is unlike those Serkian heroes because she is not introduced to a world that she wants to join. Like, here she's introduced to that black restaurant that Raymond brings her to. But then that's just kind of like a one-off thing, right? She isn't, like, interested or inducted. And it's
0: never about her prejudice
1: against black people. Yeah, and in a way, it's just her world that's changing, but she's not changing. Yeah, Like, yes, does she end in a shitty situation? Yes, the man that she's in love with is gone. Her husband is gone. Her kids are twerps. Yes, it's a shitty situation, but it kind of happens to her not because of what she does, right? Yeah. Like, in All That Heaven Allows, Carrie, Jane Wyman's character, goes for it, mm-hmm. whereas here, Kathy doesn't go for it. And I think that's what makes her, in a sense, a character that's harder to root for. Mm-hmm. She's a bit of a blank in that sense. Like, she is that I don't see color white woman that's, like, like woke on the surface, but then, like, that's about it, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. And she's stuck in a Cirque film. <laughs> I. Hmm. But again, is it on purpose? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> is this trying to be an ineffectual Cirque film?
0: Why would you go out <laughs> to make a shitty I don't know. version of someone else's movie? Like a
1: bootleg Cirque film? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's a version of this film where you hit the same points, right? You hit the same gay husband, black lover turned into like romantic interest, like film that goes the more Cirque way and like still brushes over actually attacking these topics in a real and genuine way, but delivers on an emotional level as Cirque melodramas used to do. And that could also be seen as irony in a lot of ways because a lot of people who watch it today would be like, Yeah, but that's still like that would not fly. It's like, yeah, but there's a way there to to make it closer to sir cer- and to have it more an effective film and also a more of an effective commentary. Mm on melodrama.
2: You know, this is also making me think of our discussion on Mani Ratnam's Se, mm. which effectively is replicating a genre and is working in the genre of the Bollywood film, but has a really mean ending, mean to its audience. Mm. And I think that makes the point more clearly. The ending here mm. is in a way maybe too kind, even though it's a sad ending, because it is trying to give you some emotional connection and mm-hmm. validate the love that Raymond and Kathy feel for each other.
0: It really might be the issue of him really wanting to have his cake and eat, his, eat it too.
1: Because mm. he does pull his punches. Like, like I don't doubt that Haynes sees the naivete and the, uh, in a sense, one-dimensional nature of Kathy, as a character, I don't doubt that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that he doesn't choose to indict her or really put her flaws like really on display.
0: Yeah. 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 I don't know. Hmm. It is a very interesting film. Yeah. As like a cultural artifact. Yeah. (laughs) I keep coming back to that. It is fascinating to think about. And to talk about. I circle back to what I said at the top is that it feels like
2: a very 2002 movie.
1: No, but I think of it as an artifact as in like, it's like a weird like thing. It's like a curio, you know, like it's, Mm. it's like made in such a weird way that it refuses to like, it's like you look at it and you can't really see what it is. Like it's too shiny. Mm. It's hard to look at it because you're not really sure what it's trying to say. And I think about, like, if it had a bigger kind of tell mm-hmm. to kind of show you its point, the main reason he doesn't do that is that he still looks at it like it's an experiment to do a Cirque film. Mm. Mm-hmm. His approach needs to believe in the melodrama. The moment he puts something that's too much of a tell, it's no longer a fake Cirque film, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But,
0: like, lean into the melodrama. Yeah. Or I'd say that's the wrong priority. Yeah, I don't know. Or choose one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: it's just, it's a weird film. It really is. Like, especially looking at it now, like 20 years later, I think in a sense, it hasn't really aged well because of the way that like we look at these issues now compared to 2002. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
2: That's true. we partially worth mentioning that we should be wary of measuring our own values against 2002. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think also it's worth holding it to task too.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really interesting thinking about this film. Like if you were to think about film preservation. Like, what if you only had this film, but you didn't have access to Cirque films? You just didn't understand what it was doing, right? Mm. Mm. And that's what makes me admire the film as, like, a very weird thing that is very committed to its thing, or it's almost like a shtick. Like, let me make a circ film. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm trying to think of other films that have been made that have been, like, as direct homages to directors and nothing's really coming to mind Psycho 098 <laughs> <laughs> well not like a the direct remake but a direct homage to a director's style yeah. but I feel like it speaks a lot to how strong Cirque's style is because I feel like a lot of the big reason that Haynes chose to do it is because Cirque movies look and feels so singular and like rich and beautiful and like there's already that nostalgia in it baked in. Yeah. That is already a reason alone to make a Cirque-inspired movie and why so many directors choose to do it. But this is really close and Ed Lockman does a very, very incredible job. In this movie, really recreating
1: everything in this movie
0: is like exactly what it needs to be. Like it's yeah.
1: No hair is out of place
0: that you kind of forget. Yeah. Credits, yeah. Title <laughs> Sequence. Yeah. Costume score. Costumes. Everything. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Also, Ben, you made color charts for every scene. So
1: this is something I was reading about. I rewatched the lecture that our professor Scott Higgins did on All That Heaven Allows and so Technicolor films at the time had this thing called color scoring, which is like essentially using color as a way to Amplify mood like you'll see in both all the heaven allows and far from heaven like the blue tones come in when like things get like serious mm-hmm. and haynes's approach to this was to essentially create a color score as well like every scene he had like a lookbook and like specific ideas of how the color should be to create the color score for the film and mm-hmm. you can go read higgins's essay about far from heaven and its color score and you'll see that like, the blue tones is one thing but also red and green appears in yeah. scenes where like there's turmoil mm-hmm. and the earthy tones are where Kathy is supposed to be most happy and of course earthy tones are the color of Raymond Garner as well. Yeah. He essentially his mm-hmm. color palette is the tree he's standing in front of. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether it was the copy I was looking at but I felt like the tones here were also more muted in general even in the more saturated colors like it felt just a bit more muted. Mm, yeah. Maybe. But that could be just reproduction I'm not sure.
0: Uh, it sucks because like Like now you're talking about style, and I'm like you do you pattern style, you pattern style, like Sir pattern style when he was making all that heaven allows, and then Mm. you pattern style in order to like reach a crescendo, Mm. right, where they they come together and it's like luscious greens and whatever, and Mm. like where is that here? Like where 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 do I have that release here? Like where is the trajectory of the the color blocking mm. that leads me to this euphoria at the end right and side note i want wilson saying pattern
2: style is my new ringtone <laughs> <laughs> as an example of what wilson's saying when frank arrives at the gay bar that he sits at for a while and picks up a lover he enters and there's a strong emphasis on green in the doorway and at the bar then when he's in the therapist's office the lamp is green And that made me think, oh, the therapist is going to be gay. (laughs) But he's not. Green serves, in a lot of ways, very broadly. And it doesn't necessarily make me expand my emotional connection to prior scenes in the way that a motif would
0: in Cirque. Yeah. It's like muddying the water again.
1: Rewatching All That Heaven Allows reminded me of how far Cirque pushes his stylistic patterning. With Far From Heaven, it's a bit more of like a palette. Mm -hmm. It's like a broad palette that the film paints over every single element. Like, everything is correct, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like everything is correctly put together, in a sense. Yeah, Because, like, if you look at the kind of emotional scenes in All the Heaven Allows the blocking and the way that color shifts during the scene is very, very stylized and intentional. Mm-hmm. So this is scenes in All That Heaven Allows where like, they're in like his home where Carrie and Ron are hanging out and then there's like this warm fire and then as the conversation gets heated, it moves towards this window and then the blue moonlight hits them and you see that and then you start seeing like a bit of a chiaroscuro kind of lighting thing where shadows blanket ron and then you also have a scene when she's fighting with her son where like the use of a screen blocks her from her son mm-hmm. To make you feel the distance between her and her son. We just
0: got to do it. We got to do a, a Cirque episode. Oh I'm yeah. So sorry. <laughs> just got to cut you off. Like, <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah,
1: so like in Far From Heaven, you don't get that within specific <laughs> scenes of like very intentional stylistic choices that really amplify those emotional beats. Yeah. It mostly leans on performance to do those things.
0: Mm-hmm. In so many ways, stylistically and also like plot-wise, it feels like a muddied up. Cirque film Mm. Mm. to me there's no really strong reason why there's a need to complicate a formula that is so simple and works so well
1: that's really interesting because I think because I started watching all the other Haynes films this week I think he is prone to overcomplicating the biopics are overcomplicated. The Bob Dylan one fell really flat for me because I didn't see a reason why we had to do the six facets thing and also it didn't really come together in a way that like really worked for me as a person that doesn't listen to Bob Dylan. So like Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's a bit hard to like kind of approach this as just a person watching a film. And then with the fake David Bowie biopic.
0: Yeah, how was Velvet Gone Mine?
1: It's interesting but also very complex because of all the things that it's referencing from Bowie's life that you need some knowledge of. And then part of the film watching experience is kind of like, oh, this is referencing this, and this is referencing this. Mm -hmm. And partially, that's also the experience of watching Far From Heaven. Oh, this is referencing this. Like, that referential style becomes something of a game, right? Mm -hmm. Like, spot the difference, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But every time I say that, like, it reminds me that maybe, is that the point? Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, like, do you like you think that he is yeah. two steps ahead of us instead of trailing behind? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I honestly still admire it, and I think I kind of miss the Haynes that was a bit more experimental, because I felt like he was trying really weird stuff. But like, I feel like his recent stuff is a bit more. I don't know.
2: I miss the old Todd Haynes, chop up the soul Todd Haynes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> deep apologies. I knew a
0: joke sprang to mind, but I didn't know what joke it was gonna be. <laughs> From the look on Eli's face.
1: (laughs) Like, I don't love those movies, but, like, I really appreciate that he's, like, trying some really really weird stuff. Yeah.
0: Superstar is weird. Yeah. It is very weird. (laughs) I will come out and say. I don't actually
1: think it's that weird. It's only weird because there's Barbie dolls in it. But it's really just a film about anorexia.
0: But also, like, I guess the, like, I feel like having Barbie dolls, like, just showing Barbie dolls going through anorexia and like the ways that he shows that of just like this is off Mm. (laughs) in like a very interesting way that's a choice (laughs) I think like I thinking about like his post Carol work where he gets less experimental and more into just I guess conventional storytelling with Wonderstruck and has he made a film after that? That Waters. Oh Dark Waters. And this year he actually made a documentary on Velvet Underground. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) oh oh, that seems good and i'm interested to see how he approaches the documentary form and if it is experimental in a way but with his narrative features i don't know when like he complicates ideas that he has in his mind like really i guess like strong concepts that he has in his mind but like when you really like take away that strong experimental like seed idea what's left mm. damn it's messy filmmaking i don't know (laughs) sorry i'm so
2: harsh (laughs) this is bad (laughs) or the elegant and perhaps too neat simplicity and directness of carol yeah
1: but i think that's why also carol hit so hard right Mm -hmm. he just went back to basics essentially carol is a modern like a period film yeah it's not a period film made in the style of a non-period film in the period I'm making the film, right? Yes. (laughs) It's not some weird multiple layers kind of thing. He was like, okay, I'm going to make a very good period film, right? Mm -hmm. And that simplicity really helped Carol be a film that would engage very mainstream audiences. Yeah. If you think about it, Carol is a melodrama, right? Mm -hmm. It has... The bones of a Zirkian melodrama. It has a character that is lulled into a world that she's never seen before, right? Yeah. And then she fully commits to that world with Carol. Wow. And so it's like he made a Sirkian melodrama without those Sirkian tropes that he had in Far From Heaven, and then it worked. Mm. And essentially because he updated the acting style and the filming style as well, like then it was also a bit easier to relate for modern audiences.
0: Mm. All I'm thinking about is Cirque's Carol. (laughs) That'd be a banger.
2: Overall, I think even with some of our reservations across these two episodes, Haynes is a really interesting director and I'm excited to see what he will continue to do. And I appreciate having been able to dive deep into his work.
0: Yeah, I feel like I really appreciated having these conversations because I didn't realize canes had such oh like had such depth as a filmmaker before (laughs) the series like honestly to be honest with you like i didn't even know he was gay so (laughs) (laughs) and that's like a massive part of his identity as a filmmaker um shame on me but yeah i think he is a very interesting filmmaker that is working in sort of like the upper echelons of hollywood now and has worked with like really big star like Julianne Moore is a big star that he's worked with like multiple times. Mm-hmm. He is a certified auteur in in the sense that he's able to return and work with the same acting troupe and crew and have his own takes on on different stories and sort of been given the freedom to to make movies about what he wants to make. And I think it's great that there is a mainstream filmmaker in the U. S. that is still coming at things from a from a different angle yeah. and I'm very appreciative of Haynes for being that voice
1: I'm very curious to see with the kind of mainstream backing that he currently has like when he's gonna like crack and like go back to doing something weird again because yeah. <laughs> I think he has it in him to make something weird yeah. again right yeah. especially looking at like the music related films that he made like I want to see him try something again mm. another experimental film within the confines of a Hollywood concert I think mm-hmm. it's hard to find an equal for him yeah and I think the fact that his films don't work for everybody is a sign that he is a director with a very specific tone and direction right definitely that makes him stand out for me Mm -hmm. I remember watching Carol and being like okay this guy is it this guy is one of the greats Mm -hmm. going back into all his films I'm like okay you know I don't love everything but I feel his passion for the medium and the passion to like the music that he loves as well, and like mm-hmm. how he isn't trying to just make a biopic the same way as other people, or like trying to just make this melodrama in a normal way. Like he's always trying to do some stuff. Like you said, Wilson, it's, it's good to have somebody on that team. Yeah. With a bit yeah. of a, uh, what do you call it? An edge to him. Yeah. An edge, like a slice streak. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I really want to see him go back to his safe. <laughs> safe era. Like if I were to pick Haynes, I feel like safe would have been my mm. deep cut because it's so eerie and it makes me feel so uncomfortable and I feel physically sick after watching it. Ah. <laughs> because she's just sick throughout. <laughs> she's just like sick and it just makes you feel sick. More
2: like unsafe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a great watch for um the times that we are in. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Isolation? Illness? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, it's a fitting, I mean, it's a fitting watch. Going crazy, thinking that you're going to die somewhere. <laughs> God. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. <laughs> It's essentially just one
1: big theme episode, which I think that's why I was really excited to talk about it because I think it's just so weird. It is yeah, very weird. Like, it's so strange. But honestly, the reception for the film was very much just... Everybody loved it. Mm. Like, I mean, obviously at the time. Like, everybody mm. loved it. I wrote in my closing remarks that this could be a masterpiece. Now I'm not sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a masterpiece, but you have to think really hard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just have to squint at it. I feel like we thought really, really hard and then I'm still not sure. So that's far from heaven. It's very far from I don't know
0: what. (laughs) Far from a masterpiece. (laughs) Okay. Low blow. All the way to the end. I sort of doubled down on my. I I decided like ten minutes in that I'm gonna I was gonna be the villain of this episode. That's okay. So I just like kept on giving you bad takes. When am
2: I
1: gonna be the villain? I have to hate
0: things more. You can choose to be the villain, whatever you want to.
1: You like possibly the villain? I don't know. I don't think I've been the villain. You need to choose Eli. I've been the dum-dum, the cutie, the sweetheart, <laughs> the sweetie. It's fun to be the villain. It makes it interesting.
0: Yeah, that was really fun for me. I was just like, say some shit. <laughs> I did enjoy the movie to a certain extent. <laughs> now off the air. I did enjoy it. No, we're still recording. Oh, like Robert Durst in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs>
2: They caught me. I killed them too. I enjoyed Far From
0: Heaven. Yeah, They didn't know. They didn't know that I enjoyed the movie. They didn't know it. <laughs> Send me off, Ben. <laughs> Send me off.
1: Okay, thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because... <laughs> Please rate and review because it helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can keep up with Deep Cut on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. And join us to talk about movies on our Discord server to which you'll find a link in the description. And thank you to Justine Yan for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. Take care and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time.
0: Bye-bye. That was like a really off tune. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Fall in love with a black man. Oh my god, cut that. It's the 1950s and your husband's gay. Sorry. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) You
1: summarized the movie. I don't have to do a summary now.
0: (laughs) Eli, can you put a backing track to that?
1: (laughs) I don't
2: know, probably.
0: (laughs) Sorry, cut it. (laughs) Cut it, cut it. Okay.
2: (laughs) Buried at the end of the episode.
0: After the closing (laughs) song.
1: So we know who listens to the credits.
0: It's a test, right? Yeah. (laughs)
1: That's a good idea.
3: You can't cancel us if you don't listen to the show.
2: No, you
0: can't. You can't.